Hi, I'm Gary Nall. I'd like to welcome you to a continuation of our ongoing self-empowerment series. Today, the theme is how to live an authentic life. Well, you're probably thinking, well, all of us live some form of authentic life, and, and you would be right. Everyone that I've ever met in my life, as an adult at least, and especially as senior citizens, has mastered many things, even when we're not asked to but are forced to. Let's say that we're raising a family and we have three children and one of the spouses dies. The other one has to become an energy force as a teacher, a healer, uh, a chauffeur, uh, someone who helps direct the lives of children. They had hoped and anticipated that the other person would be journeying in this process, but now they're found to have to develop these skills themselves. Right now, we are in the midst of a pandemic of a coronavirus. We're not even at the first level of its spreading, and it might spread for the next two or three months, then it'll subside, as historically these things have, but also because people are being requested to stay inside and isolate yourself. Tens of millions of Americans, for the first time, are not getting up and going to work. They're not doing their regular daily routine. So now they have to master something else. How do I coexist with others in an environment? Or how do I cope alone if I'm spending most of my working day with other people outside in offices and factories, etc.? That requires developing a new series of coping skills. Now, the, the same is true in life. Let's say that we go to school, go to college, uh, we major in an area that we feel comfortable will be there in the future, in automation, sub, um, the transhumanism, and the visa applications coming in from countries where people come in and literally work for half the price of someone who's a senior employee. So they'll work for 125000 over 30 years, deservedly so, and now someone's coming in who's going to take their job. And the irony of it is, if they don't teach them how to do their work, they frequently don't get severance pay. So we're going through things that other generations have not. Now, when I was born as a baby boomer, and all the people in this room and many of you at home, if you went to college, you were pretty much guaranteed three different jobs that you could select from with no unemployment, no debt, uh, earning a living wage, not just a minimum wage. And this is before credit cards and before Wall Street became a, a casino and our lives began to become extremely stressed. Everyone lived a fairly normal life from the 1945 to about 1975. It was a blissful time. Today, all that's changed. Many of the values have changed. And many of the attributes that we were given simply are not given today. So a whole generation is growing up without the idea of being self-sufficient and learning how to repurpose things. And what happens when this career that you were trained for no longer exists? Because automation took it away. And that's happening more and more. So then you have to start all over again and create a new life for yourself. If you don't, and many are not, many have been raised in bubbles especially those with professional parents, who were the last generation to be pretty much guaranteed that as a professional, a lawyer, doctor, engineer, a scientist, that if they began their career and worked hard at it and gave full attention to it and had a substantial discipline, they would achieve a higher or what we call an upper middle class or even better standard of living. Therefore, they didn't pass on the same work virtues to their children, more often than not, those children were given everything that money could buy, except the un unconditional time of the parent. And that's what a lot of kids that I've counseled, and I worked in drug addiction center at Trafalgar Hospital for years, they'll tell you, I'm angry at my parents, so I'm out here, you know, doing this, and why are you doing that? Why are you taking the drugs? you realize that you could OD, and many do, many die from this, or pick up all forms of diseases like hepatitis, 
and they say, to get back, get even with my parent, well, then the argument could be, but hold on a second. Your parents are working themselves long hours, sometimes 16 hours a day, sometimes every day of the week, in order for you to have the advantages. And then they argue back, I didn't ask for them to be that successful. I don't need to live in a particular area or a high-rise or a co-op or a duplex. I don't need to be going to a private school. I don't need all these tutors and counselors and people to help me. I don't need to be able to hang out with other people whose parents are rich and they never see them. There's no communication. The important measurement of a good parent is, are you there at different stages of transition in a child's life to help guide them, to participate, to laugh, to cry, to be, to be a part of that growth so when they hit a certain age, they're able to take care of themselves. And then you can say, my daughter, my son, they're doing pretty good on their own. But today it seems like many parents never get out of the child's life. They're micromanaging right up through college and after. Well then who's, who's the architect of that child's life? They aren't. They've spent much of their life trying to please one or both parents. And when I talk with the parents of children who are, are acting out, they seem completely in cognitive disconnect from their responsibilities. So when I ask them, you could do it all over again, at what point in being a careerist would you stop and say, enough, I'm out of balance. I've given too much of my time to work, success, materialism, standard of living, and as a result, what has been lost is everything over here, friendships, quality relationship, time with that which is important, my children, or my pet. I had a friend of mine, true story, and she gave me a call one night and she says, I'm torn up. I said, why? She said, because I just had to take my dog uh, you know, to the vet and put it to sleep. I said, okay, that, that happens to everyone that owns a dog or cat, sooner or later. And she said, but that's not what's tearing me up. I said, what's tearing up? She said, because I never gave it quality time. I was always rushed. I, had, I was a careerist. I had three different things going on. As a result, I'd rush it out in the morning, let it go to the bathroom, bring it back in, had a walker once a day, take him out, and then it would be waiting for me, tail wagging when I got there at night. But I was so busy in my nightlife because I was enjoying myself that I forgot about the dog. And then one day, it's 12 years old, it's not eating healthy, because I didn't take the time to find out what was the best food to feed it. I gave it convenient food. I didn't want to predispose myself to being inconvenienced to my time and schedule for the dog. And as a result, when the dog died, I realized it just hit me. I had betrayed this dog, my own selfish behavior. I said, well, that wouldn't be the only thing you betrayed. You betrayed everything in your life except your career. Isn't it interesting that we will master a career and fail at our life? And how do we do that? Because we're not living an authentic life. We can be successful, we can be famous, we can be achieved, but what does that matter if we suffer from the big empty? Because once we fill this life up, we find that it's, it's like cotton candy. It may look good and smell good and taste good, but there's nothing there. It's just blown spun sugar. And that's what so much of our time and attention is devoted to. We, we should always stop before we begin a journey and ask ourselves, okay, I'm going to be, maybe the journey is to rebalance myself. Maybe it's to reaffirm my right to be healthy or happy or creative or passionate. Maybe I've muted those. Maybe I've stalled those. Maybe I've put them in an emotional respite place until I get to some place. And how many times have we heard this? I'm going to read those books. Oh, I've been collecting really good books uh, when I get time. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Hey, wow, I've got to reach out to some of my friends. It's been too long. Hi, Bob. I know it's been a little while. It's been two years? Wow. And Bob's kind of angry at me. 
Bob said, hey, we used to do stuff together. Now, everything is your career, and when you get time, you'll fit everything else in. So what do we leave out when we're not living an authentic life? We leave out how we started the journey with maybe an ideal, but we did not have the tools. We were impatient. What are some of the tools that allow us to make this journey and make it make it authentic to us? First, we have to understand who are we. Now, we know who our parents are, and we know who our teachers are, and we know the people in our lives, our siblings. But how much do we really honor our authentic self? What if, for example, everyone has the idea that we should be in one profession, no? but we don't like that. But we're afraid to tell them that. We don't want to disappoint people. So how often do we actually take on relationships and we pass them to our parents? Why do you need to bring someone from your relationship home to introduce them to your parents? Is there judgment there? Are they, are they going to have to go through a grilling? It's your relationship. It's not your parents. Your parents' ideals and needs could be different than yours. And yet there's all these rituals that somehow the family has to approve. What if they don't approve? So what we do, we begin to, early on in life, see what gets us reward, what gets us acceptance, what gets us attention, what gets us praise, and what gets us frowns and that silent disposition of displeasure. And you don't have to be mean and angry. It doesn't have to be loud and violent. It can just be the look in someone's eyes, the simple, or, and suddenly you feel guilty. This is happening all across America with sports. Young kids are trying to compete like they're professional athletes. They're six, seven, eight years old. And they're doing that because the parent is screaming from the sidelines. So are you really doing it because you like this sport, or do you know if you win, suddenly the parent's going to you know, praise you, and you become, you become an extension of their trophies on, you know, you're the trophy child. So don't begin any journey in life until you have the tools to know you can sustain it. Now also, don't begin a journey where you are not prepared to handle all of the, the crisis that are going to come in every journey. There was a film, very few people today are probably aware of it, with Cary Grant. Um, I think it was Cary Grant Marinola, and uh, it was about Mr. Mr. Something Builds His uh, Dream House. Um, yeah. Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House. Melvin yeah. Melvin Douglas, I think, was also in it. Anyhow, they, they went to, they saw this nice house that they absolutely had to have, and it looked all right until they bought it. And then everything was wrong with it. Everything. They spent their life savings. It, and then the house became hell. And then you've got to blame someone if you're not willing to take responsibility. At no point did someone say, wrong decision, start over. Sell this and learn a lesson and do it right. No. It was all persevere, double down. Well, that's ego. And that means you don't have the tools to deal with crisis. Right now, in this room, you can't see it, but I'll describe it. And me as well, except when I'm doing these discussions. Everyone here is in quarantine. They have masks on, they have colloidal silver sprayed in their nose and mouth, they have gloves, they have uh, an ionizing uh, element that helps trap the particulate matter before it gets in the face. They're alcoholing everything. I can assure you the floor was alcoholed, all the seats are alcoholed. I wished every place in America, including hospitals and offices and homes, were as sanitary and hygienic as this. Well, we've been through 14 days, some of us 20 days, no illnesses, no coughs, nothing, because we abided by some rules. We prepared ourselves before this journey, even getting on the airplane, how to get on the plane, how to stay away from people, keep your mask on, uh, hydrate, take certain nutrients, and uh, also to keep your immune system really strong, even on the plane. Fortunately, the planes were not crowded. I was the only one on my plane that had any protection at all. And I had a 99 N99 mask. That's the highest quality there is. And, uh, and gloves. 
and I alcohol down the seats and the buckle and the belt, and I put down a sheet. That really freaked them out. What are you doing? Well, I'm not going to have your chicken Kiev, because hey, it's not chicken didn't come from Kiev. It's mystery rat meat or something. <laughs> so, well, that, they, they couldn't understand why I would wipe down the seat. Of course, the flight attendants, the, the, nobody was protected. Not got nothing. And yet, in the middle of this, you would think that people would be doing this out of self-preservation. So what that tells me is that the entire industry, the whole airline industry, which we completely bailed out by this, didn't have preparation. People living in California, in areas that were exclusive, and you always hear that kind of, it's exclusive, meaning you can't be there unless you're one of us. Now, we don't care how you made your money. It's how much money you have. Show us how much you got. Show us the money. How can we show you what we've got? Well, hey, a broker won't even bring you into this area if you're not part of us. Who's us? Well, you have to be someone of significance in your community. If you're a doctor, we just don't, anybody can be a medical doctor. Are you the chief of a department? Do you have a multi-million dollar practice? Are you famous? Are you a cosmetic surgeon that works on all those people, celebrities in California, and make them look freakish? <laughs> if you're, I'm Dr. Schmuck, and I'll make your face look horrible. People line up. I want to cut me where I don't need to be cut. Take skin back so tight, I look like a skeleton. Open my eyes, so I look like a skeleton again. <laughs> God, I want breast out to here. <laughs> An ass out to there. Yeah. If Kim Kardashian can look like that, so can I. But don't go out in the sun because you will melt. <laughs> and then you're just a puddle with loose skin. <laughs> That's so crazy, isn't it? Well, clearly those are people who are unprepared for the journey because once you start a journey where you need to be an exhibitionist, where you need to exaggerate, where you need to draw attention to yourself, those are not tools that can be sustained. Because sooner or later, no matter how many likes and people are looking at you and shares, at the end of the day, when you are no longer capable of entertaining people, it's goodbye. Let's go look at the next freak show, and the next one, and the next one. And there are endless people willing to say, my turn, I can be real freakish. Right? I can be, and then suddenly we have someone else. And a lot of these people look like train wrecks, if you really look at them, but we don't. We only look at the illusion of what they represent. And so then we have to ask, what is the illusion of our lives? Well, because you're rich, you're, you're happy. You have everything. You've been able to buy everything. Show me a single wealthy person that's bought happiness. I've counseled thousands. I don't see them as happy. I see them as very insecure. But I'm seeing them sit across from a desk in a chair, and no longer do they have, in that moment, they don't have retainers, they don't have aides, they don't have assistants, they don't have publicists, lawyers, managers, the media, they have nothing. Just them as a human being and me. So I can't help them with whatever they came in the office for unless they reveal but in our country, we're afraid to reveal who we really are because we've convinced everyone we're the image that we've projected. How often do people project one image, you accept it, they're in your life, and then you say, whoa, you know, where'd this come from? All this was there all along, you just chose not to see it. You needed me to be someone I wasn't. You needed me to be as enthused in something as you are. So I became just an extension of your needs and desires. How often does that happen? And then a person ultimately is shown they can't be the other person. And how often do you hear people say, oh, we became one, you know, or I became absorbed into that person, and I lost my own identity. How many times are you going to hear that excuse before we say, no, you didn't lose yourself in someone else. You thought that your needs would be handled by someone else, and your incompleteness would be made complete by the person you thought was complete, but was just as incomplete as you. So now you got two halves, and they don't make a whole. So now you got just not one person who's insecure and uncertain of who they actually are and what their real needs are, or how to come to grips with what they need. You got two people 
Oh boy, that's a that's a mess. And then where did he go from there? Because sooner or later that's going to end, and it always ends later than what it should, so you can get back to living your life, which you can't live over. And we think that somehow we're a better person because we stayed the course and suffered. Were you happy? No. Did you have good sex? No, nah, no. <laughs> Did you make great meals for each other? Never. Did you buy each other flowers and oh, you're kidding. Why exactly were you together? You accepted the illusion without finding out who the authentic person was. Now, there are times when the authentic person is great and you feel blessed. I've been in relationships in my life that I feel blessed for having had that person in my life. I couldn't have asked for a better moment. Some lasted years. One, 14 years. One, shorter. Interesting, one of the best relationships I ever had a person that everything I would want in a person, that person was. And then one day, boom, didn't return calls, not a word. I thought, that's strange. I said, okay, I have to accept that. And when energies are no longer harmonizing, you let it go. The last thing you should do is chase someone else's energy. Don't lose time and energy on that. This whole forlorn thing, why? Well, that's okay for 16-year-olds who have a broken heart. That means they're going to have a lot more broken hearts if they don't get real. If you understand who you are, then don't mourn that which you no longer are a part of. Rejoice in your freedom to appreciate the best that you shared. And therefore, you go from pain of what you don't have to joy that you had a moment to experience it. I'd rather go to a country once then never go to country at all, right? And I'll appreciate where I was, what I've done. And I'll tell you this little story. Do you want to hear the story? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, I, we could go out running, and we were running like cheetahs around the park. Full stride, six-minute mile, just relaxing at a six-minute pace. Person had a phenomenal physique. Do it, did a marathon but also is extraordinarily funny. And the most attractive thing to me in another person is I'm not one of these people that are going to look at you and say, well, I like your lips or breasts or whatever. I don't care, you know, because that is not what sustains a relationship. What sustains a relationship is finding something about the person that you resonate with yourself, that heart energy, the brain energy. And that's where you can do wonderful things. You're unlimited if you have the capacity to create with someone because then creative people can create anything. And, and they're much more fun to be with. But this one had a sense of humor, like the sense of humor I have and grew up with in West Virginia, where you laugh at everything and everyone. Nothing is politically correct. Nothing is off limits. But better still, she got along tremendously well with my buddies. And we're talking about some certified rednecks, right? I mean, some of these guys I grew up with in West Virginia, but they're loyal friends. And I'm not there to judge them for what they don't have. I'm there to respect what they do. And then some would pretend that they were rednecks to get some of my New York intellectual friends. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, they got to see this is a joke. They didn't see it. They said, Gary, next time, don't bring your friend. <laughs> this is the kind of person that they would go down to New Orleans go to the French Quarter, and go to a place that was known to have the hottest sauces anywhere in America. And there'd be four of them. And they would get into eating everything hot until you got up to the ghost pe peppers. I mean, you got up to the hottest thing. You just look at it, and suddenly you're on fire. And they're just chewing away and hitting each other with you know, sarcasm and, and jokes. And I'm just rolling on the floor. I'm having the funnest, best time imaginable. That's the kind of humor. And all my buddies said, this is, person's got the best humor because creative, very artistic, intelligent, self-aware, self-sufficient. But there was an energy that was never discussed. And because it was never discussed, I said, if you ever want to talk about that, we'll talk. If you want my help, I'll help you. And then, <clears throat> then there was nothing, nothing at all. And three years later, I'm in the park, Central Park on a Sunday, 
And there, there she is with a fella. And I stopped and I said, hi. And I saw her face. It was like, I'm so over you. Uh, we got some place to go. And I said, I just have one question for you. I said, was there something that I did or said that you took issue with and so you just cut that off, that whole relationship? She said, yeah, yeah, you betrayed me. You cheated on me. I said, A, that's not me. I don't do that. I'm not one of those people who believe that, you know, you have someone in your life that trusts you and then you betray it with someone else. That's not me. Well, it was. I said, well, give me an example. I said, I'll tell you exactly. You cheated with, and you gave a name, my chiropractor. How so? She said she was going to go to Las Vegas, and you told me you were going to go to Las Vegas, and we'd be back in two days. And she said, oh, I'm going to, what are you doing this weekend? I asked her. She said, oh, I'm going to be with uh, uh, Gary Nall in Las Vegas. And I'm thinking, Christ, she's right? I said, you're absolutely right. She was with me in Las Vegas, but not the way you think. I was invited, because of all my work in helping save the chiropractic profession, to go to receive an award in Las Vegas with 14,000 chiropractors. <laughs> and she was probably one of the chiropractors in the audience. So yes, she was in Las Vegas with Gary Nall. <laughs> and I went out, I accepted my award, and got back on a plane and shot back to New York. So, sorry. Yeah. And then I walked on. That was it. Never heard it from her again. So before we do things, before we enter relationships or in relationships, we have to ask ourselves, has anything in that relationship been misinterpreted? Has anything been misunderstood? Always trying to get context for everything. When you understand the context of something, you can understand it. Are you making the appropriate or inappropriate decision? So another lesson. Which tools do I need to have a chance of succeeding in mastering my authentic life? First, what do you feel in your heart? What excites you that it's not just coming from a thought, it's coming from what you feel? Because this is our intuition, which is really throwing out the energy. So when I feel something in my heart, that's what I follow. And therefore, I ask myself, okay, do I have to take new classes? Do I have to develop new skills? And the answer is yes, almost always. But what's the likelihood if you've already mastered a life, a career, or mastered a career but not a life, and everything that comes with it, title, prestige, money, possessions, social acknowledgement, what is the likelihood that you will have the humility to surrender that knowledge and that acclaim and start over? A whole new learning curve. You're going to start here and you're going to develop and develop and develop. You're going to go through crisis again and meet conflicts again. And it's going to test your character again. But if you stay true to really wanting to learn, there's going to come a time when you're going to be happier in that than you are in here if you follow your heart. So many times when I ask people, did you do, make the right decision or did someone make the decision for you and you simply honored it? I believe that most people, a substantial part of what they've done in life, irrespective of how good they are, because people will try to be as good as they can and professionals better than everyone else. It's very competitive. I mean, extraordinarily competitive. You don't have friends when you're a professional as much as you have colleagues or associates or people in your profession that you're competing against, but you try to be civil in the process. I mean, it's like a, a nation of 17 million great white sharks looking for a nosebleed. Huh? Susan, you're a professional. Is that an accurate statement or inaccurate? Well, I actually have a pretty good department, but yes, it's pretty true. <laughs> and this is Susan, who was chairman of a department of, and of an important field in the university. And it is. But again, we will hide our, we will hide a lot of what we feel about other people if it means that there might be some contention that will cause an argument or disagreement or something would put a conflict in our goals. So you see a lot of, you see a lot of accommodation 
to everything and everyone in your environment, including people you don't like or people are not likable or people are unethical or immoral, until you get to a certain level. Hollywood is the best example of that. Right? Harvey Weinstein was not a secret that was just discovered uh, in the last couple of years. He was an open secret, but he wasn't alone. A lot of other people the same way. So if you ask how many people used him to get advancements in their own career, an awful lot. But they have not been held accountable for enabling him to be the merciless uh, predator that he was. And that's true in all fields. So those people are not living an authentic life. You know, they're taking advantage of other people. But these people are predators. And the predator is a person who decides the only way they can succeed is by gaining conquest at some level over everything and everyone in their environment, taking control of it. Now, we see this easily when we see a film about a gang war or a drug warlord and what they'll do to keep their power. And it's true. If anything, understated. Uh, Over 200,000 deaths alone due to narco-terrorism in Mexico alone. And that does not include all the missing people that we must assume are dead. And that is easy to define. What about in any other office where people are competing for the raise or the bonus or competing to get the promotion? What do they do that in normal circumstances they may not do? What if all decisions you had to make had to be ethical decisions? That's an important lesson to see if you're living an authentic life. You only make choices based upon what is ethical. Well, that would keep a lot of people in the military industrial complex out of work, the medical industrial complex out of work, the energy industrial complex out of work, the food industrial complex out of work, the banking financial community, almost everybody would be out of work if they had to be judged based upon their character, based upon the unethical choices that they made. So companies we trust to put a drug or a vaccine into our body that would have to be proven safe and effective, lies, corruption, and found guilty, but nobody went to jail. They just pay a fine, business as usual, and go on. And yet they are the pillars of society. Isn't it? it, That's really Kafka-like. You take the worst qualities of human nature, people are completely dysfunctional and sociopathic, and you make them the most powerful people in your life. They dictate, it's not your body, it's theirs. So understand, not only are you having to look at your own character and making ethical decisions, you're gonna also have to stop trusting other people until they've proven corporations that they can be trusted. Now, of course, many people and corporations can be trusted. I'm not making a blanket statement just to generalize it and discourage you from being a good person. You're going to have people who have honesty in almost all professions, but they are, I believe, in the minority. And they're always the only ones that come forward and are the whistleblowers. You never see the heads of corporations ever whistleblowing. Ever. Because they're the problem. It's other people who develop a consciousness. Sociopaths have no conscience. They have no conscience about who they hurt, what they do, how they make their money. So another tool that you need in your journey to understand the creation of your authentic self is to make a list of all of the negative qualities that you have not yet surrendered, that you hide. Now, earlier today, we've been watching a documentary I did several years ago, and one of the more important ones called Overcoming the Dark Side. And Overcoming the Dark Side is one of the most revealing constructs that I've been able to share in my work. And that is, we all try to promote every positive quality and legitimately positive qualities that we have. And that's That's our currency. So when we want to be accepted, we can be charming, and that can be natural. We can be attentive. We can be a good listener. We can can show what talents we have in any area of life where we're applying for a position or asking someone else, trust me. What the person will never be shown 
is what you have not resolved. Fears, insecurity, um, negative things that have happened to you that you have processed in a way that that's actually destructive, causing guilt and shame and, and, and a low self-esteem. That's a big one in our country. And fear is palpable. Anger is palpable. And that people hide their anger more often than not. They display their anger where it's allowed in sports games, you know, like in football games and hockey games. I mean, we expect hockey players to stop right in the middle of the game and just slug each other for about 20 minutes, right? And I'm thinking, why are they doing that? What's the purpose? Why? And yet, we see people take their anger out in football games, where the whole point is not just to tackle someone, hurt them. And so a mindset of don't play a game because of the skill involved, play a game to dominate another person. So now we have, if, if two teams each were no losses, all wins, for the whole season, then they played in the Super Bowl, and they played seven overtimes, and one person by one, suddenly the other team are losers. Did you ever notice that? Oh, Tom Brady should retire. Why? Because he lost the game. He should retire. But what did it take to get to play in the Super Bowl to begin with? Think of how primal and primeval critics' minds are. Let them play in this game and see how they do. But almost never do you, are the critics that people are actually achieved. Art critics are rarely artists. Yeah, that's a reality. I'd like to see an art critic do any art that they're critical of. And people who are food critics, I've never seen them cook anything. If you want to be a critic, be the person that achieves equal to what everyone else in the field is and has done. Then ask yourself before I criticize someone else, am I in their shoes? Do I have their perception? Are they not allowed the uniqueness of being? So ask yourself on your trip, is there a uniqueness of being in the character you're wanting to be and the life you're wanting to live? Because growing up, we were allowed to believe in heroes and emulate them as kids. We were allowed to believe we could do everything, no matter what our class in life. Until we graduated from high school and college, then we saw that that is pretty much an illusion created by people wanting to give us faith and hope. And faith and hope are important. Because sometimes it's our faith and hope that when otherwise we would stay down, we get back up. And when we stop, we go forward. But you develop tools for that. And you must understand the tools that can help liberate your dark side qualities. Because in the end of the day, it's not how far you go based upon your qualities, it's how you're limited by your deficiencies, what is not resolved. So then before I start a journey, I'm gonna to wanna to limit or lessen the best I can my weaknesses. If I'm insecure, I've gotta confront it. Why am I insecure? How does that insecurity impact the friends I have, the things I do, what I will uh, risk? And so that's a big one. Fears. Why do I fear? Are they real or were they conditioned into me as a child? Because almost everything you become as an adult started with the input of even, let's just say, well-intentioned parents who were trying to do the best they could, but they did not have a knowledge of what really works. They had a knowledge of what they did to adapt so they could at least survive. But there's a big difference between giving an input to child or young adult to survive versus thrive. Do you want to thrive or do you want to stay limited? Once again, other people's expectations of you will frequently determine whether you want to thrive. Now, did anyone thrive? If they did, there's a high probability you'll have that energy in you. But what if nobody thrived? What if everybody was kind of wonder bread? What if everyone was, you know, the same? How much of your life was conditioned not to be unique? How much of your background was conditioning you to fit in, not stand out, not draw attention to yourself, not demand anything, and just to survive? That will depend upon going clear back seven generations. Take the time and energy to actually sit quietly and reflect upon our weaknesses. That's where meditation, other societies are used to meditating. We are not.
we're impatient. We want something now, we click our fingers, and it's expected to materialize. For you to understand your weaknesses, you have to sit, and I call it living your life in reverse. What do I mean? I mean that you go back and just look at the remarkable moments, both positive and negative, the highest highs and the lowest lows, and then take each one separately and say, what was involved, who was involved, what did I do, why did I do it, who influenced me to do it or not, and what was the outcome? Did it work or didn't work? Did it become a scar I've been carrying all this time and just hiding? So only when you understand how everything in life evolved will you understand how you got on the path you're on. And then one day you realize you're so far along on the path you don't want to go back and start over. You just want to try to make yourself comfortable on the path you're on. So then comfort becomes a high-level priority. So we don't want to do anything that creates discomfort. Because discomfort then means we're, we're not at ease. And so to help us maintain our comfort, we don't venture very far from a life that is passive as a spectator. Because as a passive spectator, you're not going to be judged. You're not going to be say, come on up, let's see what you got. Show us your ideas. We're going to be looking at other people, but we don't want other people looking at us. So much of our lives we live in a, in a cloud, like you had the clouds of war that showed us the truth of Robert McNamara, but while he was alive, nobody saw the truth of him. But in retirement, when he had, he was advanced age, I think around 80 or so, he told Errol Morris, the outstanding documentarian, terrific documentarian, he told him the truth, you know, that, that this war should never happen. This was an artificially constructed, constructed war. But how do you go to a family and say, your son, your daughter died or were maimed or poisoned because a group of sociopaths got together and were so conceited they thought that everybody should live by their idea and they all were coming from their dark side. So everything they said was a lie. Now we just found out that's true about Afghanistan. Everything about Afghanistan was a lie. Is anyone going to be held accountable? No. Anyone for the other incursions of, of misdirection in this war? No. no. No one will be held accountable. Power doesn't hold itself accountable. Power takes all credit for its successes and none for its misses and losses. We have to bear the burden of that. So when you start to realize, gee whiz, I didn't have the tools when I started this, and I didn't have the patience or time to slow down to development as I was on this path. So then we try to reduce the stress of living an unrequited life by drugging ourselves. So we take medications. Do you remember the, the book, uh, Dancing as Fast as I Can, mm -hmm. you know, about the person was on which drug? Come on. Uh, no. Come on. Starts with a V. Valium. All right? And millions of women in America, mainly, but mostly women, some men, said it was mommy's little helper. Remember that? Well, no, that destroyed lives. Isn't it interesting? As long as you can say, I'm going to go kill that guy, I'm going to blow his head off. No, we can't handle that. So let's say I will terminate with what? Charlie Sheen? Remember that word he used? Extreme prejudice when he was going to go kill the Marlon Brando character in Apocalypse Now. Suddenly people thinking, terminate with extreme prejudice. That's not killing. I don't see any blood there. Right? We made a very violent act nonviolent just by changing the vernacular. So in our own lives, what have we changed so we don't see the truth in ourselves or other people? That's an important tool. Have we built into our psyche automatic filters of truth. So whatever we're processing, we have to filter out everything that gets too close to the reality of what I'm seeing, even eating. If we told the truth about what we're eating and we, had, we were able to open up our chest and see what is that hot dog, hamburger, french fry, cola, alcohol doing, and see it's damaging us, we might think, whoa, I don't want to do this. If someone tells us, look, friend, like my, my friend who was the... Uh, person who was a careerist. She had an outstanding career, top of the ladder and everything she did, 
but she had no friends. I'm her friend for years, but I rarely ever heard from her because she was always busy with her career and making money. And I, this was very fortuitous because one evening, while I was consoling her about the loss of her pet, I said, then why don't you get a puppy and start over and this time do it right? Don't be so selfish. Don't bring anything into your life that you cannot maintain a quality relationship with. That's another lesson. <clears throat> and yet other people stuff everything they can into their lives. You see the television program called The Hoarders or something like that, where you walk in and the house is a mess? I've actually had friends like that. And they hid that part of their friendship. That's why they never invited anyone to their home. And one day, a person was in crisis. I went to their home. Now, this is a person, if they were here in front of this camera, they could charm you. They're attractive, funny. Um, they're worldly. They know what's going on in the world. They're activists. They join in marches and demonstrations. When I opened up the door, I could not see a single thing from this floor to the ceiling, garbage. A little tiny walkway, like this, walking like this, I could walk through. Even her bedroom, right up to half the bed, was all garbage. You couldn't move. The bathroom, the kitchen, didn't even have a kitchen to use. Lived, uh, worked at a little table there. And then she said, I know I've got problems. And with that, she pulled her leg uh, pants up to here, hundreds of cuts. She was a cutter. But she never wore clothes, and you could see it. And I said, well, why didn't you ask for help? She said, I was afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of being judged. I've got all this baggage from my background. I've got all this problems from my background, and I just... I hit it because I'm, I know I'm attractive and I know I'm funny and people like me, but I want them to like that me. I don't want them to look at this me because this me is a mess. And indeed, it was. As her friend, I said, okay, I'll help you move all this stuff out. Interesting. The next day, we went to move stuff out. She, no, no, that, that, I, I, I might, and I said, hold on a second, no, no, it doesn't work. I'm not going to help you that way. I'm going to take everything in this house out today. It'll all be out. It was, a, it was an apartment. And uh, I said, by tonight, none of this will exist. You'll have three boxes, summer clothes, winter clothes, and essential personal items. That's it. That's all you need. And so all she did all day long was cry. And at the end of the day, at about midnight, we finished. I said, now take a look. Your place is uncluttered and clean. Over 400 big black garbage bags were packed up and taken out. And I said, now you can, now you can at least release that. You can surrender that part of yourself. Within 24 hours, she went back out and took all those bags back inside. I haven't spoken to her to this day. I can't, I can't help a person who pretends to want help, and then, then I saw the game. She gets people to come in to, to, to help her by rescuing her. A lot of people will tell you their story of woe. They will try to show you how they suffer. Their story is one of being a victim and suffering and Oh, they're crying, and everybody says, oh, so, let me help you. And then they live through that. And then when that has worked its course, and they haven't changed, and someone's spent hour upon hour and day upon day listening to the same phone calls of woe, then someone finds it enough. You know, I can't do this anymore. You're not changing. There'll be someone else and someone else because she's got all the charm. Do you realize how many people there are in this country that use other people to, instead of having their own authentic life, they live as a victim, which is an artificial construct, because they're not willing to change. We can't change if we were a victim earlier in life. And all of us, at different degrees, have, have all kinds of legitimate reasons and concerns to have been adversely affected. But as an adult, you have an opportunity to say, I'm going to look at these, see what they were, how I've been influenced, look at the outcome to me because of the choices I made, 
and then I'm not going to do that anymore. I understand that game. I'm not going to play that game ever again. Then you take something that was a crisis and you put it behind you. It's like you're cleaning out the emotional clutter. You're releasing it. Now you, your positive qualities, which are real and authentic, you're better able to use them because you have less of this negative toxic debris you're dragging with you. <clears throat> so anytime you're starting anything, at least be honest to yourself of what you're going to be doing and who you really are. Now that brings me to this point. Who are you? Are you the person that everyone sees and knows? Or is there another you in there, beyond the career, beyond the mastering some form of um, skill and social skills also? Is there another you wanting to emerge? And that's the authentic self. That's the real self that you alone can be the architect of. So when that self begins to emerge, that's what you want to nurture. Feed everything that's positive into the authentic self. And that comes through consciousness, mindfulness, meditation, being present, being aware. Because when you're doing your work, you're journaling, you're searching your past, understanding it. You're looking at what your limitations are so you can limit your limitations by, by understanding and surrendering them. And therefore your, your strength and your positive qualities can then be finely honed. Then is this real self a self that can live in balance? Do you need or crave or feel somehow some abject rejection if you're not like everyone else, if you're not as successful, if you don't have the same stuff? And look at people's lives have been destroyed because they didn't have enough joy in what they had. They had to have more. Ask yourself right now in this crisis where trillions and trillions of dollars a week are being lost in the economy. People's life savings, there's people's 401ks because they chose not to change their economic policies. That's their dark side. That's their fear of change. Holding on to stuff will get better. No, stuff doesn't get better. There is no, you know, it's going to get better. It does not exist. You exist, and when you relegate and surrender your power to the system, you've made the worst choice of your life because the system doesn't give a damn about you. It pretends to, it doesn't. The journalists, the politicians, the power brokers, the corporate interest people, do you think they really care about you? If they did, would they be selling you and your kids sugar-coated cereals and soft drinks that they know are highly acidic? Would they be giving you pesticides to put on your food? Would they give you, be giving you all these um, artificial ingredients that we're surrounded by? Would they be giving you excess mammograms? Would they be irradiating your food? Would they be poisoning it? giving you genetically engineered food? No. So almost everything in the marketplace is meant to make them a profit without taking any responsibility for the cost to our health or well-being. Do they really care about whether your child is learning critical thinking skills they can apply in life and outside of the bubble of your existence? No. They care about selling the test or selling the books to the system or loading the whole educational system up with the most worthless people in the educational system. Those are the administrators. Right? And they're terrible. Am I right? Who, is te who are teachers in this room? Oh, we got two, two teachers. Is the system overwhelmed by administrators who know nothing about teaching yes. and nothing goes to the teacher? Am I right? Speak it out loud. Yes, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. All right, three teachers in this room. Yeah, and there'll be 300,000 who say the same thing. I, as a teacher, do not have the control over what I teach, how I teach, all of it's controlled by a system. You're a teacher, right? You were threatened with your job by another teacher because you wanted to teach children critical thinking skills and she wasn't smart enough or disciplined enough or creative enough to do it to her kids so she wanted to have you fired because your kids were exceeding hers. Yes or no? Yes. Speak it out. They were learning and the other students weren't. Yours were learning, the other students weren't. So you see, we fail and criticize those who don't conform. These are nonconformists. These people in this room, these two gentlemen and these two women, are, they saw the limitations of traditional teaching methods and they chose to be more improvisational and use their own unique uh, ways of sharing insights and information. 
but that's true in almost every industry. In almost everything, everything starts at the top and is factored down. And everyone is there in order to maintain their position within a structure, and you don't maintain your power, your prestige, your rewards, your growth potential in a system that you challenge. You challenge it, you're warned, you're threatened, you're excluded. That's the way our system goes. Well, then how are we supposed to have any real organic new ideas? We don't. It's that simple. So, as an individual trying to seek my authentic self, I also have to understand who I don't want to be, what I don't want to believe anymore, and what responsibilities I will no longer take on as artificial constructs in life that is supposed to give me meaning and purpose by suffering for other people. Stop suffering for other people. It doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you wiser. It doesn't make you more sensitive. It makes you overburdened, so you're going to burn out in order to please someone. And one more thought on this. Now that you're looking at your weaknesses and your strengths, putting your authentic strengths, you're allowing yourself to go into a meditative state and full consciousness, so you're not, your, your epigenetic, highly conditioned, reactionary mind is not making the decision. It will always make the decision that benefits the dark side of your nature or the system that you're profiting from. Hence, every, well, everyone else was doing the procedure. You know, who am I to change? But the procedure was not healing patients. It was causing more harm. But everyone else is doing it. You know, look, if they don't want us using those class of drugs, they should tell us don't use those class of drugs. So people triangulate responsibility away from themselves. It's always deflected. Then that's who they are. So don't tell me you're, you are a compassionate physician honoring Maimonides or Hippocrates or Galen. You know, you are a conditioned person based upon your insecurity because you don't want to give up what you've earned. You don't want to give up. You're going to look and say, okay, this person may not need this surgery and certainly not at this expense. They could go to India, get outstanding medical care, recover in a beautiful resort overlooking the Indian Ocean, or I can charge them 10 times as much and know that my new car payment's covered. That's how people are looking at you. The average person is considered by America as nothing more than a commodity. And the more illnesses you have, the more, the more profitable you are, the easier it is to exploit you. Because when people are sick and tired, they don't argue. They're very vulnerable. So we take those who are vulnerable at the emotional level. We take those who are vulnerable because they have not grown up maturing. They've grown up entitled, the newer generation. And there was a time, for example, when you or I, if someone needed to do some work, we'd go do it. Nobody argued about it. You went and did it. Today, we have millions of millennials sitting at home, playing on their computer, where someone else is out paying for their education. And that's how harsh that disconnect is from more responsibility. Well, why don't you go out? Well, because there's no jobs in my graduate. Well, how many jobs are going to be in the field because you didn't choose a field of study and mastery that there was a high level of, of jobs out there? You, you know, you didn't think. Just like all the kids now that 14 cases of, in one airplane, one group, I think it was 80 students, uh, went down to Mexico to party, and they were all in close contact. Now, 14 thus far have been diagnosed with coronavirus. But how many more that they contacted at home are going to get infected? These are the waves that are coming, all because of hubris, indifference, resistance, egotism, narcissism. That, are, that represents some of the negative virtues that an entire generation grew up with, the millennials. And that's because of their fathers, mothers, the X generation, or the baby boomer generation. So you have to ask yourself, in becoming an authentic person, which of the virtues that you were taught were negative virtues? You don't want them now. You want positive virtues, not negative. You don't want to spoil anyone anymore. 
You don't want to be a friend of your child. If you want to ruin a child's life, be a friend. Our role as parents are not to be friends of our children, <clears throat> because if you're a friend of the children, how can you be critical of them? They won't accept any criticism. They'll be defiant, and they'll be angry with you, because none of their other friends are critical of them. That's one of the biggest mistakes. We went from having some traditional values that work universally in every culture, not all, but many, to having no virtues that are from the past. Everything is now some kind of ideology, like identity politics. And so kids are being raised as little ideologues with no sense of empathy or cooperation or the common good or social responsibilities. This disconnect. Then that becomes who they are. Because ultimately you're going to be who, what you do. So why don't you ask yourself, what have you been doing or have done that does not represent a high level of ethical quality, moral quality, and humanistic qualities? Which of these virtues must you surrender and do the opposite? And that's not to blame anyone, because well-intentioned people frequently are the worst teachers. And self-righteous teachers are the worst of the worst teachers. So what can you learn that allows you to grow as a human being at this point in your life, especially if you are like the people in this room, either later people, you're at a later stage of life, or still working, or you're not working, and you think, well, gee, do I, do I really, Gary, do I really want to start all over again? I don't think so. So then you want to adapt, which becomes maladaptation to the environment you're in. So instead of you changing, you just hope the world changes and so you can continue your adaptation. But the world is not changing for the better. You've got the environment. You know, for years, you could live in Australia and have a high quality of life. Now you can't. Countries run out of water, even in Sydney, in the major cities. The, some of the hottest days on the planet were this past last six months in Australia. That's the new normal. Fires, remember those raging fires? The biggest fires ever seen in a continent? It's almost the size of the continental United States, minus Hawaii and Alaska. And so there were massive deaths. 1.5 billion animals killed. That's most of the animals there. Crops killed. Well, are you just going to deny that? And say, well, we'll rebuild. Rebuild what? Why? The conditioned mind will say, don't change. It'll get better. And the authentic mind will say, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm, I don't have a support system, and I don't want to be here. Let me find a place that's sustainable. But that means you have to give up your comfort. You have to go through discomfort. And change requires accepting discomfort is a normal process. But we want to keep everybody who believes that there should be no discomfort. So parents today want their children to have no discomfort, nothing and they'll be angry at anybody who suggests otherwise. Because then you become, you become the enemy. You see, we used to have a country where you could actually debate and have open dialogue and share ideas, even if you disagreed. Today, you, we don't have any of that. You have censorship. There's only ideologies. You either belong to the ideology, which is like a cult, and it's with, for closed-minded people or highly reactionary, and everyone else, if you don't belong, you're the enemy. So you'll be, your career's destroyed, your reputation's destroyed. So ask yourself, in your, new, in your new authentic life of choosing to be your authentic self, are you going to be one of those people that condemn other people because they are not in alignment with your values or views? Do you allow freedom of choice? Do you allow openness? Do you allow, do you allow freedom of speech? Do you allow people to have the sanctity over their own body as well as the sanctity of their own ideas? Is there room for that in your world? Because right now, there's not. I don't see any place in the United States where there's a freedom to be without being criticized by someone who is the opposite. So now let's put all this together. So what we have is we have some radical ideas of what we have to know about ourselves. We have to be honest. And to be honest about ourselves, we have to be honest about our parents, our friends, our work, our career. You have to have like the Wizard of Oz, 
and the dog pulls it back, turtle pulls it back, we have to see everything in our life. That's context. Not just our life up to this point, our success, our pain, our conditioning, and our freedoms. We have to pull it back to see everything and everyone that contributed to this. Once we can do that, then we can determine what we don't want to be and why, with good reason, we want to be living different, even if no one else around us will accept us. Even if our friends are no longer our friends, our family members are disappointed in us now that we've changed. Well, what's changed? We're actually making decisions based upon, as an adult, who we really believe we are, what we want to be tomorrow. And if that doesn't include what your expectations of me are, then I'm sorry. But I'm not going to constantly count out to your needs for me to be a certain way, for you to love me or respect me. And that's what we've done. Most people have done. Very few people I've ever met in my career have been what I would consider living an authentic life. But there was a time when people did live a more authentic life. And this is what happens when we believe that ideologies are more truthful and realistic and necessary than traditional humanistic and spiritual values. Hope this helps you. Thanks for watching.